Fight! Welcome to the Philosophy of Fighting Podcast with your hosts, Arturo and Anu. Alright, so on today's episode of the podcast, we have Brandon Guptill joining us. Brandon is someone I met back in like maybe 2009, 2010, sometime around that time. I had trained with him for a few years and uh, he was always one of the best training partners to work with because he always took the time to help you in terms of like getting things better. Like Brandon was always like a step ahead of me in everything, even when we might have been like the same belt. He was still like a coach then and he's a coach now, of course, and that makes complete sense. But I even remember times where like Brandon told me, man, you have a good triangle. And that like completely changed. I'm like, that must mean I have a good triangle. You know? <laughs> so it's one of those things where I'm like, it makes complete sense that he's coaching and I'm happy that he's doing it. But he's joining the podcast with us today. This guy's got a wealth of experience. He's trained with a wealth of people. So it should be fun to hear his story. Welcome to the podcast, Brandon. Wow, thanks. That's a it's always humbling to hear your, you know, you, your peers talk about you and you know your former training partners and I think at the end of the day when we walk away from all this, we just want, you know, to have that experience. Like mm. the guys, the people whose lives I got a chance to spend, whether I was their teacher, their peer, whatever, to hear someone just say something positive about the time we spent together always makes me feel like feels really good. So thank you so much for like even those those kind of words. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I, I think uh, that's kind of one of the reasons why we do this podcast is I think there's a lot of people that have had a huge influence in my life. And I see that they continue to do that. And it's always important to kind of remind people like sometimes they don't realize how much of an impact they may have had on your life. And uh, yeah, you definitely did, man. So I'm happy to have you on. Thank you so much. I think the first question would just be like, what got you into martial arts and fighting in general? Sure. You know, it's funny for anybody to listen to the podcast you guys had with Russ. Uh, I know we mentioned it. He and I are day one training partners. We started jujitsu about, I think, about a week apart, like give or take. You know, wow. we were basically a tiny white belt and a giant white belt on the mat together, just getting the break speed off us by everybody else. We have a very similar story. We both were uh, on the East Coast. We both grew up on the East Coast. I was a little further north up in New England, and uh, he was in Virginia. But we both were in the Navy, you know, and that's how we both came to California. We both had uh, uncles in our family that were boxers. I had an uncle that was a boxer as well. A club level, almost almost exactly the same. Uh, until his son was a little older, I was kind of the you know apple of his eye and was under his wing. He took me places, you know. He was uh, one of my first male role models, you know. You know, I ended up at on the West Coast in the Navy, box here and there, and you know, jumping into like a, some smokers on the ship, you know. Always just a, a guy's guy, a rough and tumble. But my twenties uh, kind of get the best of you, having a good time, traveling the world, all that stuff. And it wasn't until I settled down, got out of the military you know, and started figuring out, like, you know, finished college, was was starting a career. Actually, I started a family before I started jujitsu. I met my wife was my girlfriend then uh, when I started, and we had a, a newborn. Uh, and about six months before that, when she was pregnant, uh, I was still tending bar at a place in Ocean Beach. I'd soon be promoted to uh, GM there, but at the time, I was still working behind the bar. And I was like, what are you doing tonight? She's like, oh, I'm going to watch these fights. And I was like, what fights are you talking about? She's like, I want to watch UFC. You know, she's a California girl. She's been an MMA fan since the beginning, you know? And I'm like, you're so full of it. That's not real fighting. Like, boxing is fighting. What are you talking about? Those guys <laughs> are just whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. The same shenanigans that you hear from pugilistic fans, you know, forever. And she's like, well, if you get off or whatever, just come out. I'm going to be at our, you know, our friend's house that she was going to. I was like, okay, cool. 
So I end up getting off early and I cruise out there and I literally walk in and uh, this, I'll tell what happened and I'll tell how long ago it was. I walk in and BJ Penn is in the middle of the octagon. He has hair <laughs> and licking and he's licking blood off of his gloves. Mm. And I said, I want to do that. That looks cool. <laughs> and my pregnant wife, girlfriend at the time, looks at me and goes, I bet you would be good at that. And so it's funny. I actually told that story the day I got my black belt because I laughed at her because when you train for a really long time and you're with the same person, it for sure will become a point of contention at some point, whether it's your career path or not. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always tease her like, if you'd never you know, said you'd be good at that, maybe I wouldn't be standing here today. <laughs> wow, you crazy. Know? So soon after that, we would move out of our apartment in PB and move uh, back to El Cajon where she's from because uh, she wanted to be close to her grandmother um, with a new baby. And right around the corner was the San Diego Fight Club, which is ironically right that location is right across the street from where my east county location sits today oh so when wow I, yeah when i opened up out there it was kind of like coming full circle yeah um, i walked in i threw my credit card down and i said how much for how long because i have to learn how to do this wow uh, I, I jump on the mat and a uh, a teenager purple belt named casey ryan Ooh. gave me my intro lesson to jujitsu and I, I remember it was no gi because back then it wasn't easy to get a gi. Like I didn't get my first gi for like four more months. Like I ordered it when I signed up and that's how long it took to get there. Mm -hmm. So they just kept telling us to come in in shorts and t-shirts. So I remember I was wearing a wife beater and like basketball shorts. And I was like this scrawny kid, like Casey had acne when he was a teenager. Like, I'm like, this kid, are you kidding me? Right? I just like, <laughs> kept diving into his guard over and over again. He just kept guillotining me over and over again. I just remember going, getting so frustrated. <laughs> and uh, knowing that I had to go back and figure out how he was doing that to me. And uh, yeah, I got the bug quick and I couldn't be there enough. I, I literally was was on the mat whenever I could be there. Um, I actually structured my daughter's nap schedule around our AM class because I was wow. my wife would work in the day and then I would work at night. So she would leave for work. Me and Jordan would hang out. I'd put her down at like 9.15, 9.30 in her infant carrier. And then I'd take her to the car. We'd go to the fight club. I'd take her out, put her behind the cage. <laughs> and, uh, we would train. And right around the end of training, she would start to wake up. Right. And lucky for me, she was a really good baby. Because, I, you know, I've seen other people try to do that with no success. Mm -hmm. But I was lucky enough to have a kid who was a good, a good sleeper. Had my... Uh, youngest daughter been first that probably wouldn't have been the case it'd probably be a blue belt right now but you know <laughs> who knows a couple other funny uh, things about my jujitsu uh, path to the black belt that's different from a lot of other people is like russ i got every one of my belts from a different professor oh wow yeah i don't know i don't think i don't think arthur even knew that yeah so i got my blue belt there at the fight club from charlie kohler who is still and always was my mma coach uh, you know, over a decade later, he would coach me in my pro fights um, still, even though I, I wasn't training jiu-jitsu with him anymore. Um, but when I moved, when we moved from El Cajon out to Point Loma, it was so far, right? And I was, I was working at Claremont at the time. So I was like, man, like, and I was helping with the kids class in El Cajon as well. So it's like, I would go out there and I would get there at five and I would get home at like nine. I had a new baby at home, you know? So, and then we had a second baby. So it was just kind of like, it was kind of tough. So finally when, um, actually the throwdown opened, mm -hmm. My brother-in-law, Rob, uh, left the U and started training there. He's like, dude, just come train over here. And I was like, so I, I came in and I trained a couple of times. I was like, all right, this is cool. And it was really cheap. At that point, I wasn't paying for jujitsu anymore because for that uh, couple of years that I was at the fight club, I basically started helping kids class. For a while, I ran the sales desk there. And in that time, through that blue belt part, I, that's when I knew I wanted to do jujitsu someday for a living. But way back then, I remember telling Charlie, like, I think I want to do this. I, I need that. And he told me, treat your training like, like your job then and so that's mm -hmm. what i started to do 
So I'm at Throwdown. Um, I sign up. I meet Elias. Um, I'm like, wow, this guy's pretty cool. You know, he, he's he, he's always speaking from the heart. Uh, he's kicking our butts in training. Like, my goodness. Uh, I, I tell stories. I tell a lot of stories to my students. And, I, and because I got the opportunity to train with so many different people in so many different training environments, I really do have a whole bunch of crazy stuff to talk about. And uh, I, I remember telling my students just a couple weeks ago, I was like, he used to make us run sprints. And in the middle of the sprint, he'd be like, grab somebody. Go to the ground and start rolling. I'm like, dude, like, are you kidding me? Like, this isn't football practice, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and stuff like that would happen. But I loved it. Like, I'm one of those people, even today, um, as I train with my guys, I told one of my competitors the other day, because we're doing a lot of comp training, as tournaments have started to ramp back up, uh, like, I kind of, I'm starting to crave the suck. I'm starting to crave that feeling you get in the when you're when you're right at the when your gas tank's just about empty, you make yourself go one more. Like uh -huh. I'm starting to crave it again. And, and it was fun. On Saturday, we had a day, a morning like that. I uh I did like an impromptu, you know, hey, adult comp training, be there at nine. And we had, you know, a dozen people were there. So nice. we got you know, we had a great training session. And I was like, man, I, I kind of miss this. You know, yeah. I'm not I'm not young anymore, but I'm not dead yet either. So I get most of what I need on the mat still. Uh -huh. Um, but so anyway, let me go through the, the rest of my, my gig here. So I, I get my, uh, pro from Elias at Throwdown. I get gauntleted for the first time. Horrible experience. I have PTSD <laughs> from it. Uh, <laughs> so you guys ask me about that later. I, uh -huh. I'll still say keep it by the way. Um, <laughs> but I don't actually don't, we have it at our school and I don't actually participate anymore. Okay. I just walk off. I just walk off and, and actually encourage everyone on our, at our gym. Like if you're into it, you're either in with two feet or you're out with two feet. Okay. So don't stand there and, and give somebody a sissy tap. They didn't want the gauntlet for that. They right. want to get lit up. So you, you light them up and that's it, you know? Okay. So, but what's cool is like me, I'm not the only black belt that doesn't participate. Two or three of us get off the max. It's just not us. We just don't, it's just not for us. Like, okay. So cool. I'm not going to, I'm not going to down anybody else for it. Like Sean uh -huh. digs it. Aliyah uh -huh. freaking loves it. You know, a couple right. of other guys are real. <laughs> sadist and they're really into it it's not my thing like mm -hmm. i remember what that felt like and i would Me rather too. honestly i think i'd rather get waterboarded at this point to get whipped <laughs> like that like it's just a terrible feeling mm -hmm. but uh so just like everybody else Elias goes and opens tracy might the east lake and i tried to follow it was too far now at that point i had uh my buddy paul silva had opened his first academy out in rancher san diego and he had asked me if I would come out and help him out with his kids, maybe one or two days a week, because he was kind of new to teaching kids. So I was like, okay. So I went on out and I would help him out. We had, we had trained together at the Fight Club. That's where we had met. He would go on to get his black belt from Rory Gomaderos at BJ Revolution Team in PB. But uh, I, I was out there and I would help him. And then I would just stay and train with the adults because it was easy. I was already out there. So, you know, go three, four or five months in. And I realized, man, I'm, I'm training like three, four times a week out here. And I'm training at Eastlake once a week, you know. And Paul was like, you know, hey, maybe you want to have a conversation, you know, maybe you just come be under me, you know, just talk to him, you know, I was like, all right. So it was actually a really tough conversation for me to have. And Elias was, he, he let me off the hook super easy. He saw that I was getting emotional as I was letting him know that like, I thought it would be a good idea for me not to train there anymore. And he just hugged me and he's like, don't, this is, he's like, this is not necessary. And he said something I'll never forget. And it's why I'm under him today. And he said, you don't have to have a patch on your back to be my brother. Like nothing changes. Like you could still come down here every Wednesday and train if you want, you know? And, and in that moment, I knew like I had a friend, of, I had somebody in my life that's going to be in my life no matter what forever. Yeah. And that's what jujitsu is really about for me. It's about relationships. So then I, I, I go over to Paul's, I, you know, we start building up Paul Silver Jiu-Jitsu, Jiu-Jitsu team. 
And uh, we get a, we had a pretty good thing going. I built up a, a, a big kids program with him. We did a lot of competing at the time. Kids Jiu-Jitsu was getting really, really hot. I was really, I really appreciate that time. And, and regardless of the way any of my tenures at anyone's gym has ever ended, my perspective now is always what positivity came from that experience. What did I take out of it that I didn't have when I went in? And for mm-hmm. this particular one, Paul really gave me a lot of rope to figure things out as far as how I was going to communicate myself to kids. Um, he let me teach kids smaller than anybody else was allowed to teach. At that point, kids weren't training until they were six or seven, unless they were somebody's kid. I was was taking four-year-olds for the very first time that that weren't mine and putting them in class with me, you know, and Mm -hmm. it was great. Like like I had one kid named Frankie, he would literally like, he, and that's when I figured out an hour is too long for kids that small. My class for that was 30 minutes because little Frankie was four and about the 35 minute mark, if I turn my back, I let you just walking off the mat. you know and he just he gave me the opportunity to really like like spread my wings and learn how to how to teach and communicate as effectively as i can so i was there um up through brown belt got my brown belt from paul in 2013 and from throwdown all the way through when i trained with paul i was a heavy heavy competitor in sports very heavy you remember that or i was Mm -hmm. the one competition team for throwdown for a while Mm -hmm. Um, i would travel by myself i didn't care because for me it was super fun being out there, being in the mix. And I love meeting new people in jujitsu. And, and I wasn't afraid to, to go to other people's places to train because I'd already trained at a whole bunch of different places as a student. So I go through, I competed. I think it was, I had 27 medals at purple. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then wow. I was at 19 at brown when I got promoted to black belt. Um, uh-huh. uh, but to tell you the truth, maybe the last 10 times I competed, my heart wasn't in it. Mm-hmm. because the the advantage game had become so significant the 50 50 mm. uh, i'm not trying to tap you i'm just trying not to lose mm-hmm. and uh, that's frustrating so the only, i've only competed once as a black belt and but it was submission only yeah. and i thought that was super fun i've been scheduled for two or three other super fights for some of the promotions and they've uh, they've all fallen through uh, last mm-hmm. minute um so I, I i don't really i get most of what i need off the mat i do have my guys proud of me all the time like trying to get me to compete again and I, I might probably before it's all said and done, but it's just not something that I'm more focused on being a teacher mm-hmm. than being better anymore. And I think that's kind of the difference between being a, a black belt and being a professor. You know, the black belt is can still be that athlete that is selfish and can think about themselves because to really to compete at the highest level, you have to be really selfish. Mm-hmm. And, and it just is what it is, like your talent and your selfishness and then how you're coached. You put those three things together and the person is going to be super, super successful. But even if one isn't up to the par, you might not get there, you know? Mm-hmm. So in 2013, I opened a whole new jiu-jitsu in, Sandy, in City Heights as a brown belt with my partner, Sean Fowler, who uh, ran Grappling Axe. He and I had met, he was a matchmaker for a local MMA promotion called Total Combat. And when I was at the Fight Club, I was back then there was no amateur MMA. So we, you would just train and then fight. So I was scheduled to make my pro debut in MMA and he was the actual matchmaker that was making the fight. And we actually mm-hmm. met when... Uh, Two days before the fight, I got a big old cut over my eye and I couldn't fight. I had to call him and tell him and I was so upset. And he really was really nice to me about it. And and we became friendly from there. And then I ran into him at Throwdown and we, we started training together. He was at the University of Jiu-Jitsu all the way to white to black. So he's always been to you. But because he did Jiu-Jitsu tournaments as a promoter, he knows everybody. So he would train all over the place. So um, I was kind of wandering around looking at stuff. Like I said, it, was, it had always been my goal to open a school. And I had had a bunch of different ideas of places. Coronado was my original area because when I was in the Navy, I lived there. 
I lived in Coronado and that's why we have location IB today. I wanted to be down in that area because I liked it. I, I love living in Coronado and I know that there's a market that's available there. And then Purple Belt, Coronado Jiu-Jitsu opens. No, oh well, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a Purple Belt. What am I going to do? I'm not going to go compete with, you know, these guys, this black mm-hmm. parent, but no. Who's side note, um, when he would eventually have to close his place, his niece actually trained with me in City Heights all the way uh-huh. until uh, COVID, you know, small so small world, right? Yeah. But uh, so we open up and I still remember being super excited, getting the keys um, because we, Sean and I just knew we wanted our own place. We weren't exactly sure how we were going to keep all the politics out of it, mm. right? So I got my place. I'm a brown belt. I've been a brown belt for a year. Sean's a purple belt still, Okay. He's been a purple belt for a long time. He's he's overdue. He's like three and a half, almost four years of purple. And I'm like, all right, well, I go tell Paul what. I go, and I didn't tell Paul about it because I didn't want to, to to tell him and for it to fall through, right? So I wanted everything to be sure before I presented my argument to him. Mm-hmm. And my him was literally to be like, look, I'm gonna go do my own thing, like I always said I was gonna do. And you know, how do how do we figure that out? You know, is it affiliation? Do I just pay you dues and I can train with you when I can? Like like how do you want to do that? Mm-hmm. When I got there, my enthusiasm wasn't was met with aggression, and things got a little out of hand. A really heated argument in front of a lot of people, and I ended up storming out. You know, so it was like the opposite of the Elias situation. Like One thousand were- percent accurate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Except for a funny, uh, like in this instance, I'm not even leaving. I'm actually trying to say, hey, how do I? I'm so I'm so happy. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna help spread your jujitsu. Like. What can we do? And unfortunately, he just didn't see it that way. At that time, he saw it as a threat to his business model. And mm. I understand now, even though they weren't super close together, I guess anytime something like that happens and you think about it now, and you're like, yeah, when somebody opens nearby you, it makes you feel a certain way, right? Mm. Um, we had this big argument, you know, and then poor Sean, the, the great peace negotiator, right? He's like, all right, let me talk to him. Let's all sit down. So a couple of days later, we all sit down and we basically all, we, he agrees that basically I'm kicked out. Because at the end of the day, I finally looked at him, I go, look, Paul, there's a way for me to have my school and be under you. He goes, no. I go, okay, then that's it. That's, we don't have to talk anymore because mm. I'm going. This is my place. And I understand where you're coming from. And that's it. We don't need to keep, you know, rehashing stuff. And, and then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, when two people have one big significant conflict and you've been working together for a kind of a long time, then all of a sudden, every conflict that you haven't brought up, everything you ever let go, every, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Everything ever like, you know what, that's not worth it all of a sudden it seems worth it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that's what started happening. So I was like, you know what, man, like agree, disagree. You know, you go do your thing. Um, you stay here. I'm going to do my thing. And we were, we didn't really speak much for a long time. We've since reconciled. We're cool. Um, I actually, uh, Melissa invited me to uh, their son Xavier's black belt ceremony. Unfortunately I had COVID at the time, so I couldn't go. Okay. Even though I was asymptomatic, um, I still couldn't go because I had a positive test, but you know, that's, that says something, you know, I taught, Xavier's, I think he's 20, 20 or 21 now, but I remember when he was five years old and I helped him tie his belt and he used to eat his boogers, you know, uh, uh, you know, to see a kid like that wearing a black belt. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm old, but I'm not like, I feel like I've had this giant chunk of time in this great thing, but I still feel pretty young, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's all. So Honu, that opened in 2013. I earned my black belt in 2015 from Salo Barrow. Chandra Barrow from University of Jiu-Jitsu. Um, that's who I ended up going under after I got kicked out of Paul's. It just made sense. Sean had been under them the whole time. Right. And, and even though I didn't know them, uh, they were willing to give me a look. 
So I'll tell you the story of how I met Saul Ubero. <laughs> it's a uh, springtime. It's right around this time of the year, maybe, maybe another month because it's around the world's time, right? So before Worlds every year, when the U was open, we would have this thing called Hell Week. So the two weeks before the World Championships, everybody from the road to worldwide would fly to San Diego if they could early and train at the U before the tournament. So we would have, and then not just Cabrero guys, because so many people in Southern California, guys were just coming through to show, to say hello, to talk to Salo, to Shanji, just show respect. You know, the U was at the time, like I thought was kind of untouchable. So it's around that time. Sean's like, hey, you know, you still need to meet Salo. Uh, stop by on Saturday morning and we'll have a quick meeting with him. I was like, okay, cool. Well, I live in Point Loma, so it's right down the street. Mm-hmm. Run over, walk in. I walk in, there's like 80 dudes there tr- getting ready to train. And there's two mats. There were two mats at the U. Salo's there. Hey, nice to meet you. He's like, looks me up and down. He's like, where's your gi? And I was like, oh, I-, I didn't know that we were training. He's like, that's, he's like, how am I going to meet you? Like, Go get it. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> He goes, how am I going to meet you? I go, go get it. I was like, okay. I just turned around and walked out. <laughs> I, I ran to the house, grabbed my gear. I came back. I put it on. And we, we, we start the training session. It's very, it's good, good, solid, you know, competition training. And then I noticed about 30, 45 minutes in, I was at the end of the mat. And we were doing rotations. And all of a sudden, solid touch on the shoulder. He goes, stay in. I go, okay. I end up staying in the rest of the time. <laughs> so we, about, <laughs> we went for about another hour. And at this time, Arturo, you might remember, I was really lean when I was a brown belt. Mm-hmm. I was under 150. You know, I was like 145. I was, I was competing regularly at featherweight without really cutting. So I wasn't a big dude. I didn't have a lot of weight to throw around. So it was just survival mode. And it's literally every guy's a brown belt or a black. Everyone. And I'm just doing my thing. I'm just training. Just just get through it. Just get to the other side. Mm-hmm. I'm up, and there's Solo. And then he's last. We go. I can't tell you how long it was. I remember that. Uh, because he took pity on me, he pulled guard. <laughs> I, you know, I, I try to pass a couple times. I'm so tired. Like he just flips me over, passes, and he slides his hands, one hand under my back, and one hand like like a like a seatbelt, but chest to chest, right? Okay. So, if everyone's felt that before, you know what's coming. He's gonna bring the pressure because mm-hmm. Sean had already warned me. He goes, if Solo ever gets you inside control, he's gonna try to break you. He goes, just don't tap. Okay. So as I'm feeling the pressure mount, I'm making a frame, I'm starting to brace and I'm trying to, I'm trying to brace in a manner where I can hold it for a really long time. Um, so I can meet his pressure. His pressure is increasing. I'm trying to increase my brace. And, and I'm just telling, and I'm telling myself the same thing I've always told myself when I've been in those positions, you're not, you can't get hurt here. It just is uncomfortable. So just deal with it till it's over. Just deal with it. Just deal with it. Just deal with it. Right. So however long that was, I couldn't tell you, but I didn't tap. And then he literally, he went from there to what we call the solo choke, which is he jumps from there to neon belly. He fires in four fingers, and then the and then he does this low grip on the inside lapel and just yanks it through him like he's gonna chop your head off, uh, like a, like you're, like the Garrett. And okay. I tackle quick, and he picks me up and he hugs me and he says, "Welcome to the team." He's like, uh, he's like "We are lucky to have you." He's like, "You're gonna be our little secret weapon." That's what he called me. And uh, you know, when when people are like that, people where you know they have this they have this place in, in my world, you know, they have this place in the community and like even just hearing anybody say something nice about me makes me happy, but to have somebody that, you know, it's like having a, it's like having Einstein tell you you're smart, you know, it, yeah. that's, that's, I guess that's how I can equate it. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like a Michael Phelps telling you can swim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't realize how young jujitsu is because sure. my, 
would always teach us the Saulo Pass. And then, so when I was looking up, I was looking up Saulo Ibero. And when we think of other sports and like the greats and other sports, you know, it's like Hank Aaron's in like the sixties or like fifties, you know, like, mm-hmm. meanwhile, oh, you can still roll with this guy. He's yeah, young. He we're like a you. generation, a generation and a half into, into jujitsu as a sport, right? Mm-hmm. We're a hundred years in as an art, but as a sport, we're really maybe a generation and a half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, solid won the world four times at four different weight classes as an adult. And then here's something most people don't know. He won the Masters Worlds every time he's ever entered it. He's never lost a <laughs> up a point. Wow. Uh, every year, except for like two that, that, wow. that they've had Masters Worlds. So I, I, I was like, remember, because that was almost like his he didn't after he kind of got done like fighting, trying MMA. He like didn't compete a whole lot. He would compete here and there. And then when I got to the U, he was really just starting to get back into competing. And that's when the Masters Worlds became like a tournament worth worth doing. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like, I saw what everybody had always talked about, this fire competitor that he is. And it was just, it's a room that I thrive in. I thrive in that environment. You know, uh, uh, if you haven't screamed at your coach in, tra- in comp training, that you probably were never training hard enough, right? Mm-hmm. And I've screamed at that guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, we were uh, just a couple years later as a black belt, Hell week, we're training, and uh, there's actually a, there's actually Lisa Lisa caught a picture right after this happened. I posted every now and then. I'll I'll describe it after. Um, we're at the U, and I got dropped on the back of my neck, like on the back of my head, enough to where the guy that did it stopped and like hugged me, he yelled, "He's like, hey man, are you okay?" And I was like, I saw stars, the lightning bolts, all that stuff. It was a nice stinger, like it was cranked, and it was right at the end of the round too. Yeah. And before the session had started, Saldo had said, hey, guys, if you're a competitor for Worlds, you need to stay in. If you're just here helping the guys get ready, which is what I was doing, feel free to take rounds off. Just go sit on the wall. So my busted ass, I'm going like going over to the wall. Right. And I hear, hey, what do you think you're doing? I turn my head. And then of course, I turn it like this. So I can't turn my neck. Right. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I was like kind of pointing at my neck and then kind of pointing at the wall and kind of gesturing like, you know, I'm, you know how old I am, don't you? at the time i'm 47 now so then i was what like 42 you know i'm like come on man but instead you know what i did i was like what i I gotta go again oh i'll go i'll go and i was where the fuck do you want me to go with then solid whatever i don't care that my neck's killing me (laughs) i didn't said something to him and so i kind of looked at me he's like he's literally like you're being crazy go sit down (laughs) you're being crazy go sit down and uh (laughs) So a minute later, I'm on the wall, and unbeknownst to me, Lisa Lisa, she's a local photographer, or she was, she moved to Texas. Uh, she's there taking pictures, and she caught catches this picture, and me and Sean are sitting on the wall together, and I'm, like, snarling, like, like making the ugliest snarl face, and it's because my neck hurts. How funny. But, uh, yeah, that was a... Uh, that was our uh, uh, that was our moment, our coach student moment. Um, mm. That and then when I um, I competed the last Masters Worlds I competed in um, was a brown belt um, the year before that. I was in the quarterfinals and I lost a ref's decision zero to zero that I still think I won. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually saw the guy that beat me. Uh, I was coaching one of my students in Austin last summer when tournaments first started. I actually ran into him, a super nice guy, but I lose the match. I talked to the referee. Um, I'm walking away and saw those standing in the little step thing, right? The little step alcove at the very bottom. And he makes eye contact with me. And, uh, and I'm by, like, I'm like, I'm just looking at him, waiting, waiting to hear whatever he has to say, right? And he looks at me and goes, maybe if you were training jujitsu and not fighting MMA, you'd be a world champion today. 
and he walked away and he didn't talk to me for six months wow (laughs) because i literally fought like no i was getting ready to fight i was fighting like two weeks later i was in the middle of my camp and i just threw my game at masters worlds (laughs) 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 because why not it's just the gi (laughs) do do you would you play that the same way then after hearing yep Okay. hundred percent yep, because, and I'll, I'll continue because guess what? They did it to me again. So uh, right after that master's worlds, everybody else got promoted, but me, all the Brown belts got promoted that, that were at that worlds, whether they were ahead of me or behind me and Brown, everyone uh-huh. got their black belt except for me. And I know in my heart, that was a test. That was solo saying, are you as down as you act? Are you really down to carry my flag? Or mm-hmm. are you shopping for a high level black belt from me? You know what I mean? So I uh, shut my mouth. I shut my mouth and I kept training. And then we would come around the following summer and I took another MMA fight and I was getting ready for it. And Shanti was getting ready to go to Brazil um, for the Brazilian uh, the trials in Brazil. And Sean had tried to set up my black belt promotion again. And then literally it was going to be the following week and someone saw footage or, a, or an ad or something that I was fighting again. And so I was like, is he fighting again? I was like, yeah, he's like, no black belt for him. <laughs> oh, he can't wait. And, 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 and once again, Sean told me, that. I was like, I don't care. I was like, that's fine, whatever. But I'm a man. I'm a grown man. I'm going to do whatever I want. And I know that I only have so much time left. Hmm. Right. So if not, then, then when? I'd already waited 10 years. For the people that don't understand, like, the fight politics, like, to me, MMA is related to jujitsu and fighting so it's not like you're like oh i'm gonna go learn to surf in like indonesia yeah. <laughs> like you're, you're still like in the process of improving yourself as a martial artist like how yeah, do you and, take- and that's, oh, that's something i could never really figure out and i could never really resolve for myself i'm like man i'm i'm carrying your flag like like it's like there's a hibero star on my shorts you know and i'm i don't suck you know i'm not embarrassed i'm not embarrassing you you know um i think at that time Salo and Shanji were already done with MMA as far as they were kind of concerned. And what they were trying to build is they were trying to build a like IBJJF Gi team, like Gracie Baja stronghold on the competition scene. Mm. And I could have been having just one more brown or black belt catching gold medals, you know, in Gi event after Gi Mm. event. That just helps make them look even stronger as a team. I think that's ultimately what it was. That makes sense part of it was you know like a control you know people like to control people mm-hmm. they really do there's a, there's a certain psychology involved in it and and i was happy to accept the consequence of my decision it's my choice to fight and the consequence of that was i was told i wasn't ready to be a black belt yet okay i accept that i accept that consequence it doesn't change what happens when i go teach my class or when i go train with my teammates the training mm-hmm. is the same right so what mm-hmm. do i care like i know mm-hmm. it's coming i know i'm gonna get it and I know it's going to be special when it happens, you know, and that following year, you know, not sorry, uh, the November of that year, 2015, I was at the U and I got my black belt and I had the, and I've talked about this before, just to my students, I've never said it like on any media as, as honored as I am to be a Hibero black belt. And I always will be, I'll always, you know, I have a tattoo on my chest, on my shoulder, the Hibero star, I got it the next day. And funny, somebody was like, well, what if you ever leave? I'm like, that doesn't change this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And I'll never forget having someone of that caliber, like the guy called me a warrior on his mat. He's like, this guy's a warrior. Like, I'm, I'm proud of him. He always comes with everything he has. Like he said, the most, and it was about the mat, right? We didn't really know each other. We still don't really know each other personally, but it was about what I had done with him on the mat. 
and that, that makes sense be- too considering like when you first met him and stuff be like oh you want to talk with him and his in his mind it was like yeah i talk on the mat you know like yeah, exactly. that's how we exactly. that's how we talk right and, and that's why it meant so much to me the words he said and how he said them is as, as i'm looking out over the people that are there and there's Elias standing right next to my wife mm-hmm. you know and i've i've actually said i'm like you know in my in my heart i kind of wish i got my black belt from Elias just because we share such a personal close connection but I can't discount the fact that that I had this other great experience that probably overall made my jujitsu better, mm-hmm. you know, because more is always better, more exposure. I don't ever go, man, I wish I had to learn that, you know, oh, I wish right. I had to roll with that guy. Uh-huh. You know, it just doesn't work like that. So the more, the better, like the more training partners I can have, the better. I have a black belt that I just promoted one of my guys, a black belt two weeks ago, who trains at 10th Planet three or four times a week. Oh, wow. Boogie was there. At, at my promotion ceremony mm. you know why because he knows i don't care about that and i say i say it all the time if you want to train with me the class is at 6 30 sign the waiver and don't be late that's mm-hmm. it let's get after it let's have fun mm-hmm. you know and the older i get the more i train with with my adults like that and the better teacher i've become because of it because i understand that more now than ever that jujitsu what we what we're experiencing on the mat together if you let it will make everything else you do in your life better mm-hmm. you know, whether it's turning the sound down for a minute, whether it's helping you. And I tell my kids this, in jiu-jitsu, we are finding problems, solving problems, making mistakes, solving problems, and then facing consequences of those mistakes, mm. you know? And I don't know any other circumstance where you can do all that stuff without, without a consequence that stops right after you tap. The consequence mm. is now over, right? I just learned a lesson about, I made a decision to step in that direction and then the consequence of that was I got heel hooked. So I had to tap, you know, kids don't get heel hooked, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, so these kids go, oh man. So now when my dad says, don't walk across that crosswalk until it says walk. And then before you take a step off the curb, look anyway, you don't get hit by a car because you know that if you make a bad decision, you could have a consequence, mm-hmm. you know? And it's a, it's a, it's kind of like a really big idea in a really simplistic fashion. But I think we spend way too much time complicating our lives anyway, mm-hmm. when things can be really, really simple. Yeah, that, um, that's a great way to put jujitsu, man. I've never heard anyone kind of describe it like that. And uh, yeah, that's brilliant. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. And, and I, I, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll finish my biography real quick. Uh, mm-hmm. 2015, got my black belt, opened Hono IB, you know, uh, 2020, uh, two weeks from today or three weeks from t- uh the other day june 1st will be one year Honu east um so currently we have three three locations city heights ib east county and we have one affiliate gym in point loma where they have jiu-jitsu twice a week um okay. two of my two of my blue belts own that place and my brown belt will teach us there so okay there that's my whole biography now we're all oh sorry we left the barrel jiu-jitsu by the way <laughs> but that was 100 percent a business decision and not a personal decision they wanted, um, and and it's theirs. It's theirs to do with what they choose, right? They wanted a Gracie Bot, like I said before about the team thing. Uh, Solo wanted one step further than that. He wanted everybody's mats to be yellow and black. He wanted us all to dump our branding and accept Hebrew Jiu-Jitsu branding. Mm. Now, I, myself and Sean wanted to stay, and we we asked him, like, hey, man, can you godfather, some, or sorry, grandfather some of us in? You know, some of us that already have a significant brand in our in our community and, and that we I don't you know, I'm Honu, but I'm Hibero, you know, I don't want right, to. Right. Right. I want to change, you know, and I, and I was even like, you know, how come how come Lovato gets to do it? He used to be Lovato Jiu-Jitsu and Hibero, you know, mm. 
And so he's like, okay, that's not going to be the rule, but I need everybody to have red and white, uh, yellow and black mats. I'm like, dude, I just, I just bought new mats. I'm not spending another 10 G's to change color. Sorry, bud. Mm-hmm. And so me and Sean were like, what do we do? You know, we, uh, you know, obviously could join any association we want. Um, if you're legitimate at what you do, any association is going to be happy to have you, you know, as long as you weren't dramatic with your further, with your former professor. Right, right. Uh, but we didn't want to do, I, I, I'm, I don't want to do the same thing anymore. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to keep doing like, oh, this is the way it gets done. So join another association, pay my affiliation dues, make my students buy this patch, blah, blah, blah. Have this guy in for a seminar. I hate seminars. They bore me. You know, I can't pay attention to that on. Mm-hmm. Um, so we sat down with Elias and we're like, hey, man, you're a f- at the time he's a third degree black, but now he's a fourth. Like, would you ever think about maybe starting your own like American association? Mm-hmm. And you're still, you know, now he's a. Alliance after Humaita, he became, you know, East Lake, Aliante East Lake. But we're like, you know, maybe we create our own association off of off of your name, and then we're kind of a loose affiliation to the mothership over there in Miramar. Right. And it's so far, I mean, we've been doing it now for, you know, it's been like five years, and everything seems to be working pretty well. We work really well with Johnny, Professor Johnny Freya is the head instructor of Alliance uh, San Diego and kind of de facto alliance leader for Southern California. He's a, you know, you know, Johnny, man, he's a, he's a beast on the mat, super nice guy. Um, and my guys are free to, uh, and the cool thing about our, our, our association is my guys can go up there and train, you know, and, and his guys come down and train. So I'm really getting, I'm getting everything I want finally out of an affiliation. You know, I have the community I'm looking for. Yeah. I have great training partners and I have, like my guys can go and enter every single event they want without having to worry about paperwork or things like that. You know, so. I was thrilled that you're like with the Elias uh, and stuff because I mean that, that's how I know you. That's kind of like my brotherhood to you guys and stuff too. Yeah. So like you in the end being with Elias and like that same affiliation, like I don't know, it just touches me a bit. I, I'm it's, happy it means it's like it's like opening across the street from the first place you ever trained at, right? It's mm-hmm. like the, it's like a full circle and everything kind of comes home. And yeah. every day, like when I go out there this afternoon, I'll be standing in my gym and I'll be looking across the street at the first place I ever threw up from training. You know, <laughs> yeah, think about it a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why do you need an affiliation though? Like as a black belt, why can't you just open up your own school and just say, Hey, like I'm here to be, to be really honest. You don't, you okay. really don't. It's there's only a few things you really need it for. Um, and it's really just IBJJF stuff. Right. If you wanted to be like, remember that movie red belt. Yeah. Okay. So if you want to be some grungy little gym like that, where like maybe have like 30, 40 students and you're just tra- training old school, like nasty jujitsu. I mean, kind of like the jujitsu we train, but just kind of like getting <laughs> after kind of like tournament jujitsu. It's not sport. Like, yeah, like that guy doesn't care about an affiliation. Like you want to test his black book, get on the map and find out. Like mm-hmm. there's still those guys around, I'm sure, but it's not really great for your business model either. Um, oh. So really you want it to be, so let's say a guy, I mean, San Diego were very unique. It, it would be almost impossible now to be a fraud in San Diego. But let's say one of my guys is traveling and he goes on the internet. He's going to, let's say he's going to Canada. Up there, he's in the greater Toronto area and he's looking for a place to, to drop in at. And well, he knows that, you know, we're affiliated with Alliance. So he knows if he goes to an Alliance, that it's going to be a certain way. And then okay. if that was on the wall, that the jiu-jitsu is going to be at a certain standard that he can accept or she can accept, right? So that's just one example, you know? And then the other would be the politics of the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation, which I don't have any love for. I could care less about them. I got out of competing because of them, but I'm not the end-all be-all of Jiu-Jitsu. So if people want to uh, people want to compete and my, my guys want to compete, I still need to provide that for them, right? Like I don't get to, 
I'm not going to take that away from my guys because I have a feeling about it. That would be mm-hmm. super, super selfish, right? So I'm finding a way to, to make every, anything my people want, I'm going to help make it available to them. So by being affiliated, that makes it a that makes it possible. Okay, that makes sense. Because I was a little bit confused. I wasn't sure if you had to or if there was like regulations behind it. No, and you know what's funny is, is, is let's see, Sean's, Sean and I, I get my first degree later. I'm sorry, I get my second degree on my black belt later this year. Uh, Sean got his last fall. Technically, in a couple more years, when we're both third degrees, like we could start our own association. Mm-hmm. And then, but, but what, what would I have to do then? Then I got to deal with the IBJJF direct. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> those guys. No, thank you. <laughs> you yeah. know? <laughs> and, and I'm How happy you- to be. I love tribalism. I love tribal living. And I think mm-hmm. being part of a good association is just an extension of a really powerful tribe. So for me, I like it for that reason. That makes sense. How, how do you balance being a teacher, but also dealing with the business of jujitsu? That's a pretty good question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a lot of people can't, and that's why they're not around anymore. Um, it's almost like for us, technology has helped a ton. And I can tell you that because I'm a person that started my, my business with a pen and a piece of paper, fill out this form, I'll go load it into a thing, and we're going to charge you charge you once a month, right? Now, I have a 100% interactive website where you go on and you can sign up for your membership. And I don't have to see your face. You can pay me, all that stuff. You show up, I'm going to hand you a gi. So that takes a lot of the pressure off us as business owners because it's not a day-to-day, like, you know, boom, boom, boom. Um, mostly for us, it's going back. Let's see somebody's dues lapse or like a card doesn't go through or something like that. So then I got to go back and chase those dollars. But I feel like once you've been doing it for a while, you find ways to, to communicate with people. I never want anyone to think I only want them to train with me because I need their money. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so much more than that because I tell people they can't train with me all the time. I told the guy that last night, the guy came in with his son. I literally held my hand up. and I was like, this is not going to fly in my class. He's not ready. Come back in six months. Like, mm. sorry. Because if you're going to, especially with kids, if they're going to slow down the class, I owe it to my kids that are in the class to keep the standard, right? Um, so that's one problem that a lot of people have balancing the business with, with the mat is they'll, they'll make decisions because they have, they need the revenue in order to keep yeah. the doors open that will compromise the integrity of the standard on the mat. And that's something I'm super proud to say. Me and Sean have never had to do it in any of our locations. Mm. I've, I've, we've, told several people that we weren't a good fit for them and asked them to leave because it just didn't seem right. And we knew something was going to end up happening. That's, that's good foresight. Was there an experience that you have seen or had that kind of like, um, oh, okay, we can't let that snowball again or something. You know, what's funny is I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something that just happened at Honu East. This, you know, and we're, this is the newest school. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an issue with a mom whose son, uh, his son, whose son was, was talking on the mat. He was talking to one of the girls on the mat and being kind of a brat. They're all, let's just say they're all between nine and 11 years old, all the kids involved. Right. Okay. So they all happen to go to, um, go to a, a, a Mandarin Chinese immersion school. So they're all talking in Mandarin back to each other. Right. Mm-hmm. And I guess one of the kids said, Hey, say like poop head or something like that. Something silly in Chinese and she wouldn't do it. And then he kept teasing her. And I, I don't know what else he said, but her dad kind of saw the exchange and heard about it. So I guess after class, when they were leaving, the dad some said something to the mom, the mom of the son. To the effect okay. of, hey, get your son under control. I was like, oh boy, here we go. So I didn't even know any of this happened. That's how insignificant it was. Like, we didn't even notice it happened. They were doing drills while this all happened. They were in a line. And uh, so uh, Sean calls me the next day. He's like, hey, this mom just called me um, wanting to quit because her she got approached by a dad. And 
because her son was talking to his daughter in class like would you know what any of that's about i was like oh no let me let me figure it out so did a little research kind of figured it out and go back to sean i'm like yeah here's what happened he's like this is what she said and she basically said something kind of racist when she was talking about it and i literally stopped when he told me that and i asked him to reiterate he basically she basically said that she was intimidated by the dad because he was latino let's just put it that way okay Okay. i'm just gonna i'm just gonna say that Uh and that really rubbed me the wrong way so that was on like a Friday and I was going out of town for the weekend. So I was like, you know, I'll put a pin in this. I'm going to really think about it. And I was like, okay, Monday morning. Oh, preface this. The, the, the mom had literally, this was their first month of jujitsu. They've been oh, in class for wow. three weeks. Okay. The girl in question is a day one student. She's belted and she'll be at her one year when I open, when I'm at my one year anniversary. So that's what we're dealing with as far as the students go. So I thought about it. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to refund her in full. Keep the gi. I'm going to give you all your money back and I'm going to apologize that um and, and i took it i took my responsibility because guess what i don't let kids talk on my mat so if they were talking that's a breakdown in discipline mm. that's my fault that's my fault 100 my fault and the coach's fault we should have seen that happen and we missed it so that's actually my fault and i talked to the dad and i was like i just need to let you know like if you see something please talk to me first you know and i actually never heard from her again not even mm. a okay and i actually said i was i was disappointed that i wasn't going to get a chance to know her son a little bit better and share jiu-jitsu with him mm-hmm. and i said i was giving her all the money back because I hope she maybe goes someplace else and has a better jiu-jitsu experience because I don't want this experience to, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I, I got rid of her because I didn't want her on my I didn't want her in my room. Because mm-hmm. when people talk like that, it's just a precursor. What's next? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's when I coached T-ball and I had a mom tell me that the other team's kid, the other te- the other team's kids were out for her four-year-old kid. They were out for him. They were, they were going to get him. Yeah, that happened to me. Because they, <laughs> because, yeah, because they... The, because the first baseman bumped into him. Uh, my mom said that to me. Can you believe that? <laughs> that's the, I, that's I, some of the stuff that you deal with as a coach. <laughs> uh-huh. I would like to take this a little bit further. Do sure. you think jujitsu parents as a whole are different than other parents, like soccer parents or like hockey parents? Not at all. Like, you know, Not and, at all. Okay. And do you think things are changing as the years go along? Because we've been teaching kids for a while now. So are sure, parents sure, sure. more or less yeah, aggressive? Yeah, it, it's getting worse. <laughs> um, it's getting worse. I mean, and, and I think that, and when I say that they're the same, it's because they're, uh, it's, it's kind of like that person behaves in that way when that type of activity happens, whether it's jujitsu, whether it's soccer, whether it's football, whether it's baseball, that mom or dad's going to act like that regardless of the stimulus, right? As long as their kids are performing, they're going to behave a certain way. So it doesn't really matter. Like, yeah. So yeah, they're exactly the same because they're the same people, you know, almost uh, you know, I'm one of the few coaches that actually encourages my kids to try other, to try sports because I we don't talk about jujitsu as a uh, as a sport at my academies ever. It is always considered a martial art, mm. right? It's a martial art that you can compete in, and I know that's just a play on words. And I don't correct people when they call it a sport anymore. And I used to get all butt hurt about it, but there's a humongous sport aspect, and I'll be a fool to 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 ignore that because it's a huge part of my business model, right? But in my gym, we go, we are martial artists. We're martial artists that compete in a sport sometimes but we're always a martial artist first. So I think because I have that perspective from day one, when my parents walk on the mat, they don't, I don't lose as many because of it, because a lot of them, as long as it's not a financial decision, you know, if they can bring, if if they're golf at baseball and, you know, Lucas can be there just one day a week during baseball, then he's there that one day a week, you know? And and he's just, cause I I explained that that. I'm like, we're going to be here forever. Okay. There's no jujitsu season. So if you can be here once a week and you're playing your other sport, awesome. If you can't, that's okay too. And I tell them like, freeze your account. No problem. I, it's not a, 
the second you start making it about the money is the second you're gonna go out of business mm. or the second you're gonna find yourself always barely making it i respect Thank that you. a lot i teach high school sometimes oh boy and- <laughs> but I, i'm always telling my students that are like on the football team or the basketball team i'm like yo do some jujitsu with me like you know and just like <laughs> like like it'll help you get better at any sport because of mm-hmm. what you said, the consequences, like, you know, like blaming yourself about certain things instead mm-hmm. of like the coaches and everybody else. So I feel like anybody in any sport like should be doing a little bit of jujitsu wrestling. Absolutely. A martial art, right? As a martial mm-hmm. art. And, and what I, I said earlier, one of my affiliates is a, a couple blue belts that own a place called on track wellness. They're karate black belts, right? Between the two of the guys, they got like a dozen different TMA belts. They've been, both been in martial arts since they were kids, you know, and now they're blue belts in jiu-jitsu under me. And, and it's always a funny story because one of the guys that I met, I met him at the regular gym lifting weights. I was deadlifting and I was wearing a jiu-jitsu t-shirt. He's like, oh, you do jiu-jitsu? I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, I do, you know, I do karate and I teach karate. You know, at the time he was like teaching at a bunch of different karate places around San Diego. He's like, I have a black belt in Japanese jiu-jitsu. And unlike a lot of people, I'm always nice to traditional martial artists. I'm like, that's great, dude. That's mm-hmm. awesome. You, you should come train because that's what I always say. That's always the next, you should come train with us. And I'm not saying it like, so I can whoop your ass. I mean, right. I know I'm going to whoop your ass, but I don't need <laughs> to say that. I'm huh. just, an, I, he just seems like a nice dude. And I'm always just encouraging people to try jujitsu. Uh-huh. So uh, uh, he's like, okay. I was like, come on, my, come to my Sunday class. Cause I have a Sunday 9am class. I was like, come on down. He comes down and, and he, and he gets there and he's wearing, he has a jujitsu gi and he's wearing a white belt and he comes out and takes a class, gets wrecked, right? Gets wrecked by everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I roll with him, you know, my blue belts toyed with him. So before that, he said, when he told me he had a black belt in Japanese jujitsu, he said, you know, I've been told it's like a blue belt in Gracie jujitsu. And all I said was, I've heard that because <laughs> I, <haven't heard laughs> I have heard that. So he walks up and his name's Nate. Nate walks up to me at the end of class and he's got that look, right? The, I just got ran over by, mm-hmm. by, by a tractor. And he just looks at me, he shakes his head. He's like, it's not like a blue belt. <laughs> <laughs> And he's been training with me ever since. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> and when he opened up his own place, uh, they do small group fitness and traditional martial arts. He uh, he befriended uh, Will, one of my brown belts, and just said, hey, would you mind if Will like, taught a class here? And I was like, why don't you guys just kind of like become an affiliate, you know? And then we'll see mm-hmm. if, the, if, there's, if there's a program there. And he's got uh, two kids' classes and two adults' classes a week. Nice. Um, they have a nice little thing going on down there. So it, it, cool. anytime we can spread and help, help our community, our tribes succeed together, that's what we're always looking to do. Nice. Yeah. Bring more money to athletics anyway. Like I think uh, it's not one of those, uh, there's like a limited amount, right? Like there could right. be gyms on every block. There's supermarkets on every block. Like why shouldn't there be gyms on every block? But I guess that goes into a little bit what I was mentioning about politics where like, yeah, do people get nervous? Like, oh, there's another one here. There's like another one here coming up and it's only well, getting it's, big. It's funny. So uh, where my gym is in East County, um, uh, on Broadway, uh, literally less than a hundred yards up the street on Broadway is the Silva Jiu-Jitsu Academy. Oh, wow. So they actually closed their academy in Spring Valley during COVID and then decided to go ahead and try again and are opened uh, down the street from me. So Damn. Actually, yeah. And of course I got the, oh, Cobra Kai, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, <laughs> You know, I'm like, well, it's whatever. Like, yeah, was I butthurt? Hell yeah, I was butthurt. I don't ever want somebody moving in next to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it could take money out of my, it could potentially take money out of my yeah. pocket. Then, mm-hmm. But then I looked at it like this. Nobody can take money out of my pocket except for me. My mats are full every day. I had 34 kids in my big kids class yesterday. 
mm-hmm. a dozen four-year-olds and yeah. almost 20 adults. That's a good day, right? Yeah. If I'm doing my job, if my students are happy, they're going to tell their friends and I'm going to have more students. Mm-hmm. So go for it, man. I'm living my dream every day and I am never going to be somebody to, to stop somebody else from living there. So I hope that they are super successful and I hope they bring even more people into jujitsu because that's mm-hmm. in the end of the day could be better for all of us. Exactly. So, and I always turn right when I go out of my parking lot. So I kind of forget they're there. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, I good. love that perspective, man. That's, uh, <laughs> that's um, If not, you just, you just live, you just, you end up with a big old black heart if you, if you don't like find some levity in some of these situations, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. like it's so easy to get yourself. I, in quarantine, I had some real tough times, man. I, I let myself spin myself up, you know, and I let myself get carried away with the unknown of what was going to happen next. And of course, I'm the idiot that signed a lease on, you know, March 17th for a new building. So, you know, I've got this added stress on top of everything else. And then I, you know, I looked at it, I'm like, well, if I open and then everybody else had to close down when everybody right. else reopens, we're all going to be at zero. All uh-huh. right. Let's go. That's uh-huh. a challenge. Like I, 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 I like my chances. And so far, you know, it's been a year and the proof's in the pudding. We've, we've been as successful as I think we can be given the circumstances, given the circumstances, I'm still running an illegal business basically. Right. <laughs> oh, so, you know, that, that's something uh, I, I really admire about you. And you took a really strong stance early. Do you want to get into that with like COVID oh, sure. and stuff? I, I'm happy to do that. Um, okay. I was mask free. I've been mask free since day one. Um, when we on May 1st, I think I just shared it on social media the other day, was the one year anniversary of when we reopened after the first shutdown. I opened City Heights back up on May 1st maskless i hung an american flag off the balcony we had the union tribune there it's in the if you go back to last year's may first paper you can find the article shane crutching my buddy taught class and we kind of just puffed our chests up a little bit just to kind of be like you know what i'm gonna do what i want to do and this isn't because i don't care about people or anything like that for me the entire issue is much bigger than health and it's simple and i'll say it and leave it at this because anything besides this is it's kind of a sub issue for me Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness cannot be taken away under any circumstance by the government, okay? Uh, Even at the expense of someone's health. Mm. For me, it just doesn't work like that. And and for other people, it does work. Like other people think that there's there's a circumstance where it's okay for the federal government to tell us to stay home, to tell us to do this because it's good for all of us. If it was really good for all of us, we would just do it anyway. So that's my, and I know it's a very simple perspective on a very complicated idea, but I try, like I said before, I try to live in the most simplistic terms. And the one thing I would absolutely hate to ever be considered as a hypocrite. So I stood up then, I stand up now. Um, when we opened East County a month later, it was mask free from day one. No one's ever, no one has ever had to wear a mask inside of any of my gyms. Now, if you walk in wearing a mask, guess what? We don't say a word. We don't care. If you want to wear that, the only place you're not going to wear a mask is on my mat. That's a mm-hmm. safety issue. And if you don't like it, there's the door. Mm-hmm. my name's on the lease not yours i think it's super unsafe to train in a mask um i think it's super super unsafe to have a kid train in a mask because you need to see their facial expressions while they're working mm-hmm. that's how you stop problems before they happen um mm-hmm. uh arturo have you seen the video on my instagram of the kid doing the flying squirrel and i catch him in his belt yes okay had i not seen maverick's face do you think i would have been able to catch him or would he uh, have belly yeah, on that uh-huh. little boy uh-huh. right so look, there's on my Instagram, there's a video of this little boy. I tell him to mount the other kid and he literally jumps up like a flying, like Sammy Superfly Snooka. <laughs> and I catch him by the belt midair. And I just make a joke. Like, I'm, that's why I'm a teacher. Right. Yeah, crazy reaction time from Brandon. Yeah. And, and it just so happens it was my nephew. 
that, that did the flying squirrel. So it was just a funny story. But that's had I not seen his, had he been wearing a mask, I might not have seen his expression and I might not have thought that. It's details like that that make you a good teacher. Like, you know, you noticed like the little things. Did you get backlash for that? Because I know there were some gyms here where like, I so think I, if they were proud of like what they were doing, I think like the authorities so I, would kind of go towards yeah. that. I told the guys, I told my guys, cause my guys were all, I, I let all my, we have all, we have a, a pretty solid amount of black belts uh, at our, at, at Honu. I think we're, we're at double digits right now, which is pretty impressive for an American. Um, but I let everybody kind of express themselves the way they want, but I remind them that, you know, the peacock can't stand, can't show his feathers every day. Right. So yeah. when we, when we did our May 1st, I was like, this is our peacock. And now we're going to put our feathers away. We're going to get back to business because we want to train. We said that we're open because our students want us here. If we are peacocking every day, we're open because we want to be peacocks. We don't care about our students. Right. Or, or we do care about our students, but not as much as we care about everybody knowing that we're here. Yeah. So what I did after that is I was real diligent. Like our Sunday morning class, every, uh, my city heights location uh, has a downstairs uh, iron door and we're upstairs. So 15 minutes after I go down and lock that door, nobody could come up. Um, we got a cease and desist at city heights a couple days before Thanksgiving and they never came back and that was it. So in El Cajon, I have never had, I have not had one issue. In fact, I have about eight to 10 law enforcement officers that train there every single day. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's but, been relatively healthy. Like there's no. Uh, what What's funny is like I had COVID, you know, I had COVID. Another one of the professors had COVID. Um, not from the mat. That, well, not that we know of from the mat. Like I was asymptomatic, so I can't be quite. The only reason I knew I had it is because my wife, my, my wife and my daughter got sick mm. and I was fine. And I was actually going to go teach class. And my wife kind of glared at me. I was like, you go teach class without a negative test and you're not coming back here. Mm. all right so i went paid the 350 to get the, the fast test and i was positive <laughs> so lucky for us like i said we have so many resources i was able to get guys in to cover the classes and uh it happened over the holidays so we had a break anyway so it really for me it was super fortuitous if i was going to get it together at that time because i didn't really miss much but uh no we haven't had like me like uh, some my buddy shane uh, has an academy in iowa and he made a or idaho and he made a great point most jiu-jitsu academies are super clean, yeah. right? So we already keep a, a really sanitized area all the time. And then, you know, if you train a lot, I feel like your immune system is probably pretty strong too. So between the two of those, I would guess that it's probably not the, it's, it's definitely, you'll definitely, I feel like if you got it and you're going to train with them, you're probably going to get it. That's a decision you make, right? Mm -hmm. But as far as like, if somebody kind of walked in, I feel like, I don't know, it seemed to not have, this contagious standard that it met all the time right you'd be like i made out with that chick and i didn't get it like that guy <laughs> touched you know my shoe and i'm gonna die you know it just didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense all the time so mm -hmm. yeah. we did the best we could and we just we informed everybody to make their own best decisions and that when when you come in you're making a personal decision as a responsible adult to train and you accept the consequences of that training and we have we had nothing but positive uh, feedback from that. And especially and in training where you're choking and arm barring each other, yeah. yeah I feel like these, I feel like these types of people are a little bit like, well, is it more dangerous than that? You know, and so exactly. exactly. You have like a certain personal responsibility. I was in the middle, you know, and I would like I didn't train as much throughout the last mm -hmm. year, but I was always on the group chats and I was always watching. And then I was like, you know, after a few months, I was like. Nobody's really getting even the ones that were gung ho like weren't getting right. Sick. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna start going once a week, and I would like just kind of yeah. 
Yeah, I had a lot of guys that are, were just like you, who kind of baby stepped their way back in. And then mm. we had our hardcore pod of about 14 people that we trained every day during quarantine. Mm. I trained every day. Yeah. And then be- those people got too good. So I was like, I got to fucking train now. because <laughs> It was two blue belts and everybody else was a brown, a black, or a purple. Those two blue belts got so much better. <laughs> yeah. Everybody started training. Like, one of them is a, a female. I'm like, what did you do to Nancy? I'm like, she transformed. <laughs> and like, she was, in the, she was in the room every day. You know, you can't. Mm-hmm. And then I was having, um, I was having guys from other gyms were dropping in to train too. Like uh, Eric, Eric Ersek came and trained with me a whole bunch. Um, he's a Alliance MMA coach. And now he's, a, he's actually a victory now. That's he's right. A, I saw that. Coach yep. there now. Hope they know how lucky they got. They're lucky to have that guy. Yeah. Talk about a guy that knows grappling, man. Wow. That guy's fun to train with. But he would drop in, you know, and, and we'd have other people come by and we'd always just have like super good training. And it was almost like selfish. I was like, man, I kind of feel bad that I don't get to teach my students right now. But man, I get to train every single day for like two and a half hours after lifting weights for like two hours. Right. I actually I actually was overtrained during quarantine. <laughs> I was still trying to follow a strict uh, 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 powerlifting program. Right. Yeah, so, so I, would, I want to talk about that a little bit because yeah. you really got into powerlifting over these last, you know, handful of years and stuff. <laughs> I got black belt. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so tell us uh, what inspired that, and also how do you balance the two? Because I think a lot of people uh, think about like how do they balance? Like, should they take like if they're doing jujitsu, let's say five days a week or something, should they take right. a day off and do some lifting? Should they, add, you know, what I mean? Like, talk to us about your experience with that. Absolutely. So uh, I was like, like I said before, like I was a really lean, I let myself get super, super lean as a brown belt. Um, I was competing a feather, I actually made light featherweight once, which is like 140. Um, I'm five foot eight. Right now I'm 170. 170, 175 is kind of where I sit right now. This is king. 175 seems to be the sweet spot. If I'm at 175, I can train with everybody without getting hurt. If I get dip below 170, the big guys tend to like bang me up a little bit. My hips don't feel so great. And um, if I get a over, like if I get too heavy, then like all of a sudden I'm gassing out. So 175 seems to be the best spot. Um, but yeah. So after I got my, when I got my black belt, I was about, I was maybe just a hair over 150, maybe 155 ish. I wasn't really, I wasn't really uh, training. I was just training, like just training on my normal schedule. And uh, Russ is a powerlifter ex-powerlifter um so so yeah so i, I got into powerlifting um because russ was into powerlifting he, uh, he always was telling me to get into barbell movements he's like man you're already naturally kind of a strong guy like you do you know your normal bro workouts you know like any of us do as as we go uh, along our journey um to try to get better we try to find all these different ways all these hacks to uh to become a better grappler and uh i was like you know what i'll give it a try so i went out you know started watching videos on benching, you know, I don't, I, I bench pressed up to, I'd already bench pressed over 300 pounds by that point. Um, but literally that was literally just working my way up until I got there. But at the time I could probably, I think I was benching like maybe 225 for a single, maybe. Okay. Um, I hadn't, squ- I hadn't back squatted in a decade. I was only front squatting. Okay. Um, when I, for, for my strength conditioning for jujitsu was all about front squats Okay. because I saw Elliot Hull's video one time that said, want to look strong, back squat, want to be strong, front squat. And I started front squatting. I was like, ah, this is awesome. I feel awesome. I'm going to do this all the time. That was my thing. So uh, I got up. I started, so I started powerlifting. He put me, he put me on 531. Okay. And I would send him videos of my technique and he would fix it. And he would fix it. He would fix it. And uh, something about being on a platform gives me that same feeling that being on the mat does, um, especially on the deadlift platform, because it's me against that bar, right? I got to move that bar away from the planet. And no one's here to help. I'm either going to do it or I'm not going to do it. And uh, I really found a lot of solace in that. It was really, it's really relaxing. 
you know, why do you powerlift for jiu-jitsu? And I'm like, I don't powerlift for jiu-jitsu. I powerlift for powerlifting because I think it's fun. Uh-huh. It just happens to make me ridiculously strong for jujitsu, you know? Right. And I worked my way up. At one point, I got all the way up to 196 pounds. And, but I was still like 12, 12 or 14% body fat. So it's not like I just let myself get big. Um, I got up to, uh, I got up to like a uh, 510 pound deadlift, 510 pound back squat, 315 pound front squat, and uh, 335 pound bench. Nice. And then, uh, and then I leaned back down and like I said, I'm at back down to like 175 now. And now I just try to stay, stay strong using barbells and bands. Um, but I still think that I'd like to get to a 600 pound deadlift, um, Ooh, before I'm yeah. 50 and a 600 pound squat. I think that I'm a 1500 pound total guy. I think I can nice. get it. And I think I can get it at like, at it, I want to do it at a meet. And I think I can do it at like 169 or 168, whatever that, that next okay. weight class down yeah. is. Uh-huh. I think I can do it there. I really do. Because what's funny is what I figured out about deadlifting is less is more, mm-hmm. especially if you're an older lifter, because yeah. your central nervous system can only take so much. Yeah. The top right? guys don't really do as much like full deadlifts mm-hmm. as often as people think they do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm pulling like maybe every other week I'll actually do a deadlift pull, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, and every time I do, I'm a little bit stronger. So I know if I start programming it, it'll probably jump right up there. But the carryover it had for jujitsu was unbelievable. I right. was so impressed. So would you recommend, uh, would you recommend like jujitsu athletes do that? I would recommend jujitsu athletes mess with barbells. Okay. Maybe not into full powerlifting, mm-hmm. but even more so, I would suggest that they get, if they, if they have any experience Olympic lifting, do some of that. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, I if the only thing I would have done different is I might have got into Olympic lifting. Mm-hmm. I'm terrified to, to snatch and do all that stuff. I feel like my shoulders are going to rip right off and go flying over my head. Yeah, it, it <laughs> takes a lot. I can tell you firsthand. It takes a lot I've, of I've been to, good health yeah, and mobility. I've, been like a, I've, been to, I've tried. I, I've had guys try to teach me how to do it. And like, I can do it. But it's like when you're strong and you try to do it, you're just trying to throw the weight over your head. Right. Like, mm-hmm. so without any weight on the bar, it's actually hard to have technique. Mm-hmm. And you put weight on the bar and the technique is trash. So I'm like, right. you know what I mean? And, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a busy guy. I don't really have time to learn something new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm just sticking to what I do because it's fun for me, you know, and I'll, I'll jump over my buddy's CrossFit box. Um, one of my students is one of the owners of uh, Kivnon CrossFit. Okay, yeah. Kivnon. Yep. Yeah. So my boy, Maddie is one of the owners over there and, and him and Mick and those guys are always real nice. They always invite me over to, to jump in. So they'll let the jujitsu guy come over and do CrossFit with them. Cool. Um, but they won't come over and train with me that much. Matt, I mean, Matt does. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so, uh, so that's how i got into powerlifting and like i said the carryover like my grip strength is ridiculous mm-hmm. um my ability to control people from the top for a guy who's pretty pretty on the small side of average sized i i feel like i there, if you have to weigh well over 200 pounds for me not to be able to shut you down if i pass your guard mm-hmm. you know i take i'll take your yeah, hips and your elbows people, away that's it. i mean in jujitsu people know how important like your hips are and I'm like, the deadlift is your hips, man. Like, that's everything. That's how you keep pressure on top. That's how you're going to be bridging out to get from yeah. the bottom. Like, it's everything. And it's funny. I have a, a Nick, uh, you know, Nick Hawks? No, I don't. So he's one of the, he was one of the owners of Invictus CrossFit. So oh, okay. he's a purple, he's a purple belt under me. And that's the first thing he ever said to me. We saw me on like e top one. He's like, <laughs> what's up with your hip flexors? I was like, what? He's like, are, are they swollen? I'm like, no. He's like, they're just developed like that. I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, <laughs> that's why I have humongous hip flexors. Funny. And and I think it's it was mostly from jujitsu. And then when I started powerlifting, boom, like it just accelerated my growth. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a saying, right? Like the be- the the best way to get better at grappling is more grappling. Well, that's what that's what Marcelo Garcia said. He said, want to get better because people would always ask him, 
what do you do for conditioning? What do you do for this? Yeah. What do you do for that? He's like, do you want to get better at jujitsu? Go do more jujitsu. Keep it simple. But, and that's what, that's what he would do. Do you agree with that? Would you tell somebody, hey, instead of five days of jujitsu, do four days and one day powerlifting? Like, oh, do you I would think say if you want to do jujitsu five days a week, do jujitsu five days a week. I agree with Marcelo for that aspect because what will happen is you'll end up not training five days a week and then uh, and then you'll end up doing something else anyway. So if for at least a while you can do five days a week of training, you should go ahead and do it. But you should, you should get in as much training whenever you can because you never know when it's going to stop. Mm-hmm. So I don't think anybody should should take uh, – people need to stop training jujitsu like just because they're a hobbyist that they're Tom Brady, right? You don't need mm-hmm. to go on a diet. You don't need to hire a nutritionist. You don't need a full strength and conditioning program. How about just show up for class? Just show up for class hydrated and ready to work. And guess hydrated. what? Everything else will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. Shut up and show up. That's it. That's right. all you got to do. I love it. All right. So we do this all the time. So I figured I might as well ask you if there's sure. anyone you can fight in any era. Carl Gracie Sr. Oh, okay. Why? Why is this? Because... If not for Carl, I, I have all the respect in the world for the Gracie family. Let me preface that. He's the one that walked away from the family and said, no, this is for fighting. And I'll teach whoever's badass enough to want to fight with me. So for me, when I think of real jujitsu, I think of Carlson Gracie. So why not get in a ring with him and see what he was really about? Oh, that's great. I like that. Like he's like, he's my guy. Like I'm not even Carlson Gracie lineage, right? I, I did train with those guys and I have a lot of respect for him, but mm-hmm. I just think for the history of jiu-jitsu, no one, no one made jiu-jitsu the fighting art it is today like Carlson did. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, that's a good one. Respect. All right. Following up, if you can fight for a cause, <laughs> what cause would you fight for? Oh, it's always for the kids. Autistic, special needs kids. Whether mm. it's a severe, I, you know, uh, my daughter uh, has uh, Tourette syndrome. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know that. Um, it's very mild in comparison, but that really opened the doors for me to really to really spend a lot of time with uh, learning about special needs kids from all different branches of that tree, whether it's autism or, you know, some type of other uh, developmental disabled problem, Down syndrome, whatever it is. I'm always, I'll do anything for, I'll do anything for the kids, man. Anything. That's sweet. <laughs> good guy, That's man. Sweet. Good guy. Brennan's always a good guy. Yeah. Oh, sometimes we ask people if somebody finds themselves in a fight, and they don't really have training. Are there any tips you would give them? Suggestions? Same as what everybody else said. Don't. <laughs> don't, right? <laughs> like like, like Manny theme. said, man, everybody thinks they know how to fight till they get into a fight, right? Like, uh, how many people tell you they're going to knock you out or choke you out? How many often <laughs> do you hear that in an argument between two idiots at a bar? Bro, I'll choke you out. Like, man, I will give you my neck in both your hands and I will flex out of your grip. You're not choking <laughs> me anywhere. It's just so absurd that they think that something we train for a lifetime at, they can figure out by watching an MMA, an MMA fight, you know, yep. it's just, it's insulting. <laughs> so yeah, don't fight. It's not cool. Unless you're arguing <laughs> over who is the, the, the tougher guy, then that's the only problem you can solve by fighting because then you figure it out. Right. But if you're just arguing about something else, why have a fight? That's not, nobody's really, nobody proves themselves right. Unless the argument is, can I whoop your ass or not? If the mm-hmm. argument is, Hey, Arturo, I know you love Fedor. Man, fuck that. I love Habib. And, and because I can tap you out, Habib is the GOAT and Fedor sucks. No, it <laughs> doesn't make any sense, right? right. <laughs> so that's right. the way I look on, on fighting in general. And that keeps me out of a lot of problems because 
I'm an emotional person that gets supercharged. And yeah, of course, like sometimes I want to solve that emotional issue with violence Mm -hmm. because I know the dopamine that gets released when I choke someone makes Mm -hmm. me feel good. Right. But I also know that that's not okay. You know, that person isn't letting me do that. They're trying to stop me. So unless they're trying to hurt me or my people, then I got to keep my hands to myself. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, or they say, Hey, I think I can beat you up. If you think you can beat me up, let's see who can beat who up. Then if, if I have time, I'm probably down, but I'm a really busy guy. Yeah. So it's going to have to be like, we're going to have to set it up, you know? <laughs> um, okay, my final question. It's kind of a two-parter. So as a teacher, too, I just want to ask you two things. One, uh, what makes you a good teacher? Like, what are some lessons other teachers can take, like, from you? And then the final one would be, like, if you could get, like, one lesson from a teacher for like two hours, like jujitsu, like a private from anybody or MMA, like who, who do you look up to where you'd be like, yeah, I want to learn under him for like this seminar this day. Okay. That's, that's good. I think as a teacher, it's kind of twofold for me. And I've really come into my own since I started doing jujitsu full time, because it's like, now I treat myself like, like you would, like I have a curriculum and I have a lesson plan and I'm writing down and thinking about what I'm going to teach every single day. I just don't walk in there and wing it. Um, so for me, being the best teacher I can be is preparation and communication. Mm-hmm. As long as you are always, always trying to grow as a communicator. And I don't think people spend enough time on that. We think about the data, the data, the data. Well, you can have all the data in the world. If you can't effectively communicate to your student, then it's not worth anything. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'll take, I'll take a purple belt communicator over a black belt uh, that can't, that can't formulate a thought, you know, or, or can't show me in a way that I can understand how to perform that technique, even, even though it might not be as smooth as the way that black belt does it, that purple explains it in a way that it makes sense for my brain. Yep. And so, and what happens to a lot of teachers and it happened to me and I'm grateful that I saw it and I, I saw it and I wanted to change it was uh, I was married to my method for a minute. I thought that I, I thought that I, the cat's meow. And I thought that no matter what, like I got this, this is fine. I don't need to change anything. It affected my classes and my students. And so I reevaluated and I started looking at better ways to communicate and pass on information because if my students aren't getting it, then I'm doing a bad job. So I'll look at stuff and I'll say, man, my kids aren't figuring out this arm bar. And I'll go home after class and I'll go, how did I explain that? And I'll try to figure out a way in their, in their vocabulary that they're going to understand the way I need the movement. And, you know, what's funny is that happens. And sometimes it's just a matter of me walking around the class while they're drilling and moving their bodies in the right direction. No, I need you to move your hip here. Yep. Oh, and you just put your foot here. And then it's just muscle memory after that. But mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have done that. I would have made them all go together and we would have gone step by step together. Then the kids still wouldn't learn the arm bar. Mm. I need a little more one-on-one touching them so they can feel how it's supposed to feel in order to understand. So like married to your, don't get married to your method. Always be prepared to, and always be trying to improve as a communicator. If you do those three things, you can't help but be a good teacher. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, and, totally and Marcelo Garcia is the person I would take a two-hour private from. Mm. And, and why is that? Because I want to learn how to do his, I want to learn all his guillotine stuff. Me I already too. been to get off the internet, so I'd love to spend some time with the man. <laughs> Brilliant. My high elbow still sucks. I think you can fix it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great, man. That's great. All right, uh, Brandon, tell the audience where people can find you. Unlike a lot of people, I post everything under my actual name. Brandon Guptill, mm-hmm. B-R-A-N-D-E-N-G-U-P-T-I-L-L. 
That's my name on Facebook. Mm-hmm. On Instagram, I am BigUp619. Um, I, that's, I'm one of the few jujitsu people on the planet that has a, uh, non-jujitsu Instagram handle. Um, it's, <laughs> it, it's been my handle for everything that I've ever done. It's one of my email addresses too. So it's like, I, I just, when I started Instagram, I'm like, well, that makes sense. And now like, I'll have people call me by it. It's so funny, you know? <laughs> Tell us about your gyms too. Tell us where your gyms are located because I think anyone in San Diego, especially if they've listened to this, they understand how good you are as a coach. I oh, thank you, brother. That. But uh, yeah, tell people where your gyms are. So we got Son- Honu City Heights is 4310 Orange Avenue in, in City Heights. It's the, it's just above Mission Valley. So it's actually right up the hill from Fabio's old school. Mm. If anybody knows who that is. And then Honu Imperial Beach is on 9th Avenue in IB. That's open right now just Tuesdays and Thursdays for adults classes at 630. Uh, one of my black belts is trying to bring that school back. We had took a real hard COVID hit down there. Um, with the military, but we're trying to come back. Honu East, 926 Broadway in El Cajon, right across the street from the yogurt mill. So anybody in El Cajon, you know where the yogurt mill is? Right <laughs> across the street. You can't miss our bright red Honu Jiu-Jitsu light-up sign. And at night, you can see our badass Beast County mural through the window. And then our affiliate gym, On Track Wellness, is down uh, in Point Loma on Kirk Street. Um, you can look that up online. And we are part of the Gallegos Jiu-Jitsu Association along with Alliance Eastlake, Chula Vista Jiu-Jitsu, and National City Jiu-Jitsu, uh, all locally here in San Diego. Nice, nice. All right, well, Brandon, thank you for your time, man. It's awesome. There's yeah, that was so fun, man. I thought we could have gone all day. Yeah, dude, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we'll have to have you on again, man. It was great, man. Uh, thanks Anytime. so much for being a part. All right, thank you so much, Brandon. For really sure. Thank you, guys. I had a lot of fun. All right, Good Brandon, I'll catch you. you soon, man. Hopefully, I'll come out there sometime soon. Anytime. You guys are always welcome. My house is your house. All right, man. I'll check, catch you next time. Thanks again, Brandon. Later. Later. Bye-bye. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Philosophy of Fighting podcast. If you have any questions, suggestions, or if you would like to fight us, send us a DM on Instagram at philosophy underscore fighting.